0: It happened to a 20-year-old sophomore in college. He was a narcissistic kind of 20-year-old, sold, stuck on himself, kind of living an apathetic Christian life, having grown up in a home that took him to church but had never experienced something that he was going to experience In one moment that he had not planned for that caught him completely off guard when he was asked three questions it was three questions that prompted something that began to work in him and it wasn't the three questions that was the power it was the spirit of God in those questions it was it was the work of God that was happening on that college campus that began to revolutionize him and change him forever before I give you those three questions and and tell you, let me just tell you what had happened on that campus was so incredible that it began to spread into the faculty. It wasn't just a student movement. It was into the faculty. It was into the staff. And then it began to spill into the community, this this working of God that began to pour into the community even, to the point that even some of the other churches in the community were kind of opposed to what was going on because it was like shaking things up in their churches. And it was it was a work of God. It was a revival of God that, again, you can't contain. It's just God begins to work in individuals, and, and then God begins to work in more individuals, and it just begins to spread. The questions were so simple, and they are not that profound, and I've made a big deal out of them, but just let them rest on your soul, if you will. The questions were, if not now, when? If not here, where? And if not you, who? Who? Asking a college student those questions when he's kind of sold on himself and kind of caught up in himself and he's kind of apathetic in his faith, but asking this college student who was that college narcissistic 20-year-old who was kind of apathetic in his faith, kind of set in his ways, and asking, Mike, 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 wake up. If not now, when are you going to wake up? And if not here... Here you are on this Christian campus, and you're getting this Christian education to go into the Christian ministry. And, Mike, if not here, when? When? Where? Where are you going to wake up? And if you're not you, Mike, who? And I ask you those questions today. As we sit in this room, if not here, where? If God's not going to work here, where is He going to work? I mean, this this is a place set aside for His people. This is a place that we we come together week after week, and we want to be God's people. And if not now, when? Are we just going to put it off till tomorrow? Are we going to get serious about following Him tomorrow? Are we going to get our our, our money making years right now? We're going to spend all of our time getting all that we can. Are we going to actually think of something beyond ourselves? If not now, when? If not here, where? And if not you, who? Who is God going to choose? Who is God going to touch? Who is God going to pour Himself into? Who is God going to rearrange the priorities and the focus of their life like never before and awaken them? Who, if not you, will God do that in? William Carey was that person who was a kind of a reject in his own right because he began to shake things up as God was bringing revival to his own soul. And he asked this question or he challenged the believers, of followers of Christ, that we should attempt great things for God and we should also expect great things from God. That we have an incredible God. And then when we put God in some little box and we put our little faith in some little container and it's all very controlled, very climate controlled, very, very systematized. And all of a sudden I want God to awaken us, break us out of the box, break open the vial, pour himself out on us so that we would be ever, forever changed and we will become forever change agents in his plan. God has been awakening people for years. You can go back and look in history, and I just did a word study of awakening through the Old Testament, and you can read about a pool of king of Assyria in 1 Chronicles chapter 5, and you can read about how God awakened the Babylon, the Babylonians in Ezekiel 23, and he woke up the Medes against the Babylonians in Jeremiah 50, and King Cyrus to let Israel go back in Ezra chapter 1 verse 1, how God does these awakenings, periods and he'll awaken a pagan unbeliever and he'll awaken a believer because even in Psalms, when he talks about in Psalms where he awakened them to worship in Psalm 57 and how Jesus had to go to his disciples and awaken them to pray in Mark chapter 14. What's God want to awaken you? Why is God trying to stir you? Disturb you? Or is it going to be the same old same old? It was what Paul said in 1st Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 6. When he said, Let us keep awake and keep sober. There's a calling on us that, that we would be awake and alert and observant and and, and and coherent to what God wants to do. And if you have your Bibles, find the book of Romans chapter 13. And if you have your strategy meeting book and you're a note taker, uh, you can turn to page 18 in your in there. And we'll have the notes section there if you're that kind of person. But, but Romans chapter 13. Whenever I was outlining the book of Romans to go into this study back a year ago about this time, I came to this passage and I said, That, I believe, is a passage that God has for us a year from now. I didn't know if I would be speaking from an awakening. Where I would be speaking to an awakening and yet we all get to kind of determine that out today. When I look at some of the God stories that I see outlined in this book, I see that God has already begun to awaken some people in our family of faith. When I see God revolutionizing their life and changing the way they live and where they live and what they do, I I go, yes, God, and how they operate even as a family unit. I say, yes, God, you are beginning to awaken and do some things in some people's lives that I want to see exponential throughout. So am I speaking from an awakening? Yeah, maybe in some people's lives. But I think a true awakening is one that sweeps across like I experienced in that college sophomore year. Gave birth to a church in Bolivar, Missouri that changed trajectories of professors' lives and students' lives. Even their faith that to this day I still ask my, those questions of myself. But in Romans chapter 13 is where Paul calls us to an awakening when he said in verse 11, Besides this you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. He's calling them to a reality check. It's time to wake up. It's time to quit hitting the snooze on the alarm. How many times is God going to call us and we're going to say, not now, God, not now, God, not now, God? Will it be the next job loss. What will it be the next broken relationship? What will it be the next doctor's appointment? will it be the next that uh, wakes us up? Will will be the next broken whatever in our life? The night is far gone. The day is at hand. And then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light and let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, in sensuality, not in quarreling and in jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. I think if God is calling us to an awakening, there's at least two messages in this alarm clock of our life that may be going off. One is to wake up to the reality. Wake up to reality. There's a reality checkpoint for all of us. There's a time when we got to wake up and smell the coffee. I don't wake up until I taste the coffee. So whatever it takes, smelling or tasting, it needs to be a wake-up call. Phillips translation says, wake up to reality. Wake up to the reality of where we're at. Where's, where was Paul when he was writing this? He was writing it from Corinth. It was in 57 AD. He's writing it to the to the church in Rome, and he's writing this, pinning this letter out. He's telling them, hey guys, you need to wake up. You're in Rome. You're in the epicenter of the Roman, Holy Roman Empire. And guess what? It's going to get tough. He even goes on to say, he said, listen, the day of salvation is nearer now than when we first... He was really anticipating the Lord would come, the Roman Empire would fall. There's a lot of things that are are, are built into this. And he is anticipating that the Roman Empire is going to rise up and they will. The reality that Paul was writing in, in 57 AD from Corinth to Rome, was that, hey... I believe it, and it happened just seven years later, that the first imperial state-sanctioned genocide of Christians happens in Rome. And it will happen for the next 300 years. So listen, the salvation, yes, it was very near to them, whether it was exactly what Paul was thinking, or it was literally your life is going to be on the line, and whether or not you're going to find acceptance of your Christian faith, you're probably not. Basically, he was saying in Rome, there's going to be a resistance to Christianity. There's going to be a resistance to the movement. But if you read the book of Romans, Paul says we got to keep pushing forward. we got to keep taking the gospel. Just because there's a resistance doesn't mean we stop sharing the gospel. What's our reality as Grace Point Church? When you think about that passage that we just read, what's our reality as we look at who we are and where we're at today? Well, I will say this, that we are living in a day where there's a resistance to the gospel, but we've got to keep pressing it forward. Just a reality check on where we're at in, in northwest Arkansas. 32 people a day move into northwest Arkansas. That's that blows my mind to think of that. That there's that many people moving in. There's a there's literally not enough homes to house the people that moving into Northwest Arkansas. And those of you who live and work in this industry know exactly what I'm talking about. It's why you how you make your living day in and day out, just trying to keep up with that. But have you ever thought about putting on lenses and looked through God's eyes at the people that are moving in? Do you realize the world is moving to us? That there are there are people that are far from God that are moving right into our back uh, back door. There are five thousand five hundred Asian Indians that live in Bentonville alone, of which most of those are either Muslim or Hindu. So literally, we have a, a, a small town of Asian Indians that live in Bentonville, Arkansas. That if we were to see these people through god's lens that we would see them as hey they don't have a relationship with christ they don't even know christ the way we know christ what if we put on the lenses that we could be the gospel light to them that's the reality that we live in also the reality that we live in that one out of every four people that you'll pass and this in the walmart in the in the store and at the parks one out of every four does not have any faith connection whatsoever so we're literally—you can go one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four—and you can find a person who is far from God. And this is not something that you aren't aware of, because you have even stated this in a survey that we did. If you remember, on the phone survey that we did uh, a few weeks ago, uh, we uh, we we asked you how many people do you interact with on a regular basis that you know that are far from God. It was—I had no no clue what kind of response we would get. But 40% of Grace Point attenders know nine or more people. 40% of Grace Point attenders know nine or more people who are far from God. We have relationships with people. We connect with people on a day-to-day basis. 13% was a little disheartening. Don't have any relationships with any unbelievers at all. We are to be salt and light in this world, we need to have a few dams and hells in our life. We need to sit in the smoking section every now and then. We need to get with people who are far from God and we need to have these relationships with these with people. Eighty-seven percent of those of you sitting in this room today said they have at least one person in their life, a friend, a family member, a classmate, a boss, a subordinate, a neighbor who is far from God has at least one. This is our reality The reality that we are living in is that we are living in, we know people, we're connected to people, we see people in our own backyards. And I wonder though, do we see them through the lens that Jesus sees them? Do we see them with the eyes and the heart that Jesus saw them? Or do we, maybe that's where we need to see the awakening today, is the awakening needs to happen that I need to start seeing people through the lens and through the eyes and through the heart of Jesus. It's exactly what Jesus told his disciples to do in John chapter 4, verse 35. He gave them three imperative commands in one verse. Look, lift, see. He said, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields that they're white into harvest. Three different imperative commands there. Look. Lift, see, look, lift, see. Basically, he was saying, Dudes, wake up. We got people all around us who don't know Jesus. And if we want to make our life count, we got to make every life count. And we got to count every life as if it matters because it matters to God. And another time in Scripture, in Mark chapter 9, verse 38. Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful, the labors are few, therefore pray. That's the imperative command here. Earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into the harvest. When I added up the survey that you filled out on Mother's Day weekend, whenever we took that survey on the phone, and I added up the number of people that we know just within our body of people. We know 1,738 people that we interact with on a regular basis that are far from God, that we classify them as being far from God, outside of a relationship with God. Now, just let that number sink in. 1,738 that you know and I know. I wonder if we can wake up our eyes, lift up our heads, lift up our hearts, look at them through Jesus' eyes, and pray earnestly, Oh, God, send out laborers, and I might be that laborer. I might be the person that you're sending. If we're going to make our life count, we've got to count every life for God. And nobody is left behind. And nobody doesn't matter to God. And nobody is just a, 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 somebody I'm selling to. And nobody is just somebody I'm employing. And nobody is just somebody helping to reach our, our business goals. Everybody counts because everyone counts to God. And we need to start seeing our neighborhood that way. Romans 13, 11, and 12 in the message, it says it like this, but make sure that you don't get so absorbed and exhausted in taking care of all of your day-to-day obligations that you lose track of the time and doze off. Oblivious to God, the night is about over. The dawn is about to break. Be up and awake to what God is doing. My friends, If there's anything that I feel burdened about as a church and as a leader and a pastor of this church, I feel very pleased that we have made great progress and we are making great progress in spiritual formations and discipleship and moving in that vein. But I'm afraid that we might have missed an opportunity to do evangelism that leads to discipleship, that leads people to make more disciples because we've got 1,738 people out there that we know by name that are far from God. We need to wake up. We need to be awake and look at what God's doing. The reality is is that the world is coming to us and we need to go to our own world right now. Number two is we need to rise up to our roles. We need to wake up to our reality. We need to rise up to our role. Billy Graham, before his passing, said this. I've been praying that we might have a spiritual awakening. But I think that That becomes possible as individuals surrender their lives fresh and anew to Christ. What is happening in us? What is happening? To us, I pray to God that we are going to see an awakening, and it's not something that we twist and we turn as a formula that we think. We say, "God, I am here. I am surrendering. I am giving myself to you, God. How can you use me in my community, with my friends, with the people I live, work, learn, and play with? How 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 can I be a part of making their life count, and therefore my life counts, makes a difference in this world and in this community?" When you go on and you read how Paul, again, in this antithesis of statements, and really what I mean by that is he says it, all, all throughout there, he's like, has five or six different ones. There's, there's light and there's darkness and there's, there is a, there's a sleep and there's a wake. Every time he's writing here in this little short paragraph, he's doing an antithesis, pitting against each other. And so you can see that here in verse 12. It says, the night is far gone, the day is in hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness. So we're going to take off, that's one side of the antithesis, and we're going to put on the armor. We're going to take off, but we're going to put on. What are we going to put on? As followers of Christ, when we awaken to the new reality, when we awaken to our roles and responsibilities, we awaken to put on the armor of light. We awaken to put on something that gives light and direction and hope. We put on armor because we are going to go into darkness. We're going to go into battle. Satan is not going to want this. In fact, right now, some of you right now are hearing from God. And as much as you're hearing from God, you're hearing from Satan. He's saying, listen, tune this guy out. Just wait till he's over. You can't do this. You're unqualified. You're unfit. You are unable. And you're just hearing the bombardment. Listen, we're going to go into the darkness... We're going to have to wear the armor. But it's not just armor. It's the armor of light. The world needs light. The world needs hope. The world needs deliverance. And if we're going to make our lives count, we're going to have to count every life for God. It's what Jesus said when he said in Matthew 5, verse 16, let your light shine before others that they will see your good works and they will give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So the life change happens. When people see the light in us, when they see not a light, the light, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. When we wear Jesus into this world, and I'm not talking about the cool goofy Jesus t-shirts or goofy, uh, uh, you know, uh, go- goofy Christian hat or, or what, just watch goofy Christian movies. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about living the Christ life. Selfless, loving, caring, forgiving. When our marriages become like that, Our lives become like that. Listen, the light that shines the furthest, we want to shine our light, the light that shines the furthest shines the brightest at home. You heard me say that weeks ago. I want you to think real practical right now. And at the bottom of your notes, there are four fields that you have that you live, work, learn, and play in. I want you right now to be thinking of names of people in all four of those fields. If you fill up that entire box, just spill over the margins. Think about where you live. Think about your neighborhood. Think about your family. Think about your extended family. And I just want you to start writing down names, first names, first names, first names, first names just so you can remember. I want to think about people you work with, people that you interact with on the job, people that you sell to, people that buy from, people that are regular customers in your store, people that you know. That you, maybe you don't know how to have interaction. We're not talking about how to have the interaction right now. I just want you to be thinking about who do I work with? Who do I work with? Who am I exposed to on a workload basis? What about learn, 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 learn? Who, who am I learning with? I go to school with them. Uh, I'm in training with them. Uh, something like, I, I, some kind of form of education that, that, that maybe you go and play. Where do you play? Who do you play with? What's your hobby? What's your interest? I want you to be thinking about them. Jotting them down. As many names as you possibly can fill up. And when you leave out of here today, I want you to think about that name, those names. You may may have 15 names when it's all over, but then I want you to zero in on one. And this is your card. This is your awakening card. Who is God awakening you to share your light, to shine the light of Christ into? And I want you to put that, just one name. Now, you can put two names. What I did is I took two names because there's two people that are just glaringly on my heart. And I hung one of them up on one, and I hung one of them up on another. And basically what you're going to do is you're going to keep that card because we don't want to know the names of that person. You're going to be praying for that person. We want you to stop by one of those stations on your way out today. And I want you to just hang this at each one of those Four fields that you live, work, learn, or play in. Where is that person? It's going to be interesting to see as we come back next week. Where we live, work, learn, and play. Where are we going to shine the light of Christ the most? Where are we going to wear Christ into our community the most? And then, how are we going to do that? We're going to identify them. We're going to engage them. We're going to assess them. We're going to invest in them. And at each one of the stations, when you go by, let's say yours is play. You say, it's somebody I go to the gym with. It's somebody that I ride bikes with. It's somebody that I'm in a club with that we, we do. You're going to hang that on there, and then you're going to grab one of those sheets of paper that will give you some starter ideas to start thinking about how you can engage with that people, how you can invest in those people, how you can assess those people. Everything that we're doing today is to begin to see an awakening in us. I want to have some families join me on stage here. The Zamoron family, would you come on up here? And the Parvis? I know uh, Robert's the only one here. Nicole, Ben, and Lindsay could not be here with us. But why don't you come up here and join with me. Zamorons, y'all come on up here. Uh, this is pretty awesome. Now, you see their stories in the book, in the the books that that, are, that, that you have. The parvises are really cool in that God is using them... In his job, they're moving him on the other side of the world in what he's doing. And you can read his full-length story there and and, and even identify with Robert and and his family as, as they make this move and pray for this family. He's going to give us a prayer need in a moment. But here's what I want you to be thinking about. He is taking where he works... And he's being reclo- relocated where he works to the other side of the world. And while he goes to the other side of the world, he's going to happen to be a follower of Christ where he lives, works, learns, and plays on the other side of the world. And Lindsay's going to be able to walk out her house uh, out of their house and be able to love on them. How can we be praying for the Parvases as you make this transition?
1: Well, the reality that we have right now is that this is a very emotional time. Um, it's thrilling. It's fun. It's overwhelming, mm-hmm. it's sad. Uh, at times, it's very lonely when we're going to be apart at different times over the summer. It's also a very busy time, yeah. and both professionally and personally. And our prayer is that through all of it, we'd be able to stay connected to Christ because mm-hmm. uh, Lindsay and I, especially over the last few years and few months, as we face various challenges, have found as long as we are rooted in Christ we can get through those things. Mm -hmm. And more than that, we can thrive in it, and we can be vulnerable with people, and that builds the connections that helps those relationships. So that's the second prayer request for us, is that those relationships would uh, continue to grow and continue to um, be a way that we can connect with people. That's right. That's right. I love it.
0: I love it. And just praying that as they live in this country that for the most part are not followers of Christ, they're going to be able to shine the light and bear that light into the community. Thank you so much. Let me let me pass off to Zamoram. Thank you so much for for uh being in the whole family up here. And you all are have been a part of, by the way, the, uh, the Parvus is used to foster children, and uh, you all have foster children, but you're going to take fostering to a new level, okay? Why don't you tell briefly about where you're going and how we can pray for you.
2: Okay, okay so uh, our family, uh, we are, are moving to uh, Kansas, Oklahoma. It's just one hour uh, away from here. is like 15 minutes west of... Uh, uh, Salem Springs, and uh, we, we're working. We're going to start working for a ministry. It's a, it's a children's home called Cookson Hills. They've been uh, open and running for sixty-one years, and uh, they they take children for, from uh, a lot of different states, not just Oklahoma. And so, uh, uh, the way you can help us pray is, uh, it's important to understand a lot of those kids are coming from broken homes. And uh, some of them might be raised by the grandmother or or just a single parent. And so our prayer is that if, if we can, our desire is, is that we can create an environment of love and grace so that the kids that come and live in the house that we're going to be at, they can experience that, they can see not a perfect family but a, a family that is trying to to shine for Christ mm-hmm. and another prayer request that I would say is uh, it's just for us to remember who the enemy is mm-hmm. uh, because sometimes when you're doing foster care or taking care of kids there's all sorts of stuff that happens in the family and uh, it's easy to get not not get focused and you start thinking okay ah look at this look how, how she's reacting or this little kid is reacting. But in reality, the enemy is Satan and his demons and uh, not the kids that come or not our kids or not our spouse. And so awesome. that would be a way of... How of, many children uh, are there? So they have right now approximately 50 to 60 kids. Yeah. Their idea is to get that, uh, uh, I think, close to 100 or something like that. Wow. So, so
0: you're going to transplant your family smack dab in the middle of that and become parents to... You're going to go from three kiddos to 50-something kid parents. <laughs> well, you uh, yes, but well, I mean, it'll be different families. So yes.
2: Be, our, our, our home yes. will host a, at most 10 kids. Okay. And so it'll be our three... Our fourth is coming <laughs> and maybe another six yes.
0: very good let's pray for them would you just reach out your hands forward uh, for them and let's stand together uh, let's pray for both these families together you just uh, you just uh, reach out your hands right now Father we have two families represented here and though Lindsay and the kids could not be with us today we lift up the Parvis family who they are and what they represent and we're not losing them we're launching them to the other side of the world to a country in the 1040 window and though he will be doing his job every day plugging it out but he'll also be in the community and so will Lindsay. and we just pray for deep relationships god-appointed moments we pray for health for the whole family Pray for the security that is found in you, and thank you that Lord, you're already preparing the way for them, and you are preparing relationships that need them. And Lord, I just pray that now you will anoint their lips and anoint their lives. And Lord, for the Zamorone family, I pray for them. Lord, I, I've seen them, I've watched them mature, I've prayed through things and seek God for things and want things and be available. I remember the men's retreat that I went on and shared the room. And Lord, and just hearing the passion and the vision. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for fulfilling this calling in their life and how they're going to be parents to kids that don't have parents. And God, would you just strengthen them. And we send both these families out to where they live, work, learn, and play, to share the light of Christ in a dark world. Oh, we bless them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Thank y'all. Thank you. I want you to see a sign behind me that represents something that we say a lot. But it means something in this coming year because we so much want to believe and do the work of evangelism that leads to discipleships. That we, we really realize that our life needs to count. and The way life counts is by making everyone's life count for God. And that may be having those beautiful, sometimes difficult conversations with people that are far from God being love and light and salt and truth and hope and care for them. So every one of these lights, and I think about the 1,738 people that we know that are in our circles of influence right now. There's only one third of the lights up here. There's 508 lights on this board for Romans chapter five, verse eight. We referred to that last week as being that love statement from God that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Every one of these lights represents somebody who does not, that we know, that doesn't have the light of Christ in them. But I'm praying that over the next 12 months, 24 months, however long it takes, and however seriously we get about being light in our world, that we will see life change. I mean, lights come on, faith come on, new belief, being born again. Yes, those, those terms that maybe we don't use all the time, but seeing the light of Christ come into somebody else's life. We've been praying for 14 days that God would do an awakening. And this past week, I had, I got to be a, the recipient, I guess, the, the end of a, of a conversation of, uh, back in 2015 when Daniel Franklin started pouring into one of his workmates who was going through a divorce and how that workmate came to, to to Grace Point and has been at Grace Point ever since then and has since remarried, trying to get that life on the right path. But even in a remarriage, they've been a part of the, Sullivan, the Su- Sullivan's uh, group. I was going to call him Sully. That's his nickname. Uh, Uh, group, communitas group of blended families. And it's not been perfect as no blended family's perfect. And they came in my office last week and, uh, and they shared that they've been struggling in their marriage in their new marriage. And it was beautiful to walk with them and to talk about the love of Christ and the patience of Christ and then, and, and the forgiveness of Christ and the unconditional love of Christ. Some of the very things that they were struggling to get past, they didn't have for one another. And so I just asked them, I said, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And they both said, no. Clearly, emphatically, no. I said, I tell you what, you'll be a better husband, you'll be a better wife, you'll be a better person when you have a relationship with Jesus. You'll love better, you will be kinder, You will forgive deeper and you will go further in life alone, let alone marriage. It was awesome to be able to pray with them in my office and to see them give themselves to Christ. What we're going to do over the next, however long it takes, every time we see a life come to Christ, we're going to change this blue darker color to a bright light representing the light of Christ think about it where we live, work, learn or play who is going to be the person that we help share the light of Christ with and they come to faith in Christ and see a light come on in them let this be a visual to what we want to see in all of our friends lives There's 1,738 people that we know. Let's just start there. I've already named in my own heart, in my own journal, in my own prayer time, two people that I'm praying for, that God will give me the opportunity to share the light of Christ with them so that we can celebrate the light of Christ in them. Let's pray for an awakening. Dear God, dear God, do what we cannot do Awaken whom we cannot awaken. Give peace and love, forgiveness and grace where, Lord, we can only experience and give it because of you in us. May we help to be light and life and hope and peace in the lives of other people. That means we will have conversations that are difficult. That means that we will have to step outside of our comfort zone. That means that we will become more prayer vigilant for those in our life. That means we will look. We will lift up our eyes. We will see people differently. Oh God, awaken our church. Awaken us. Awaken us. Awaken us, God. Awaken us to the work that you want to do in us the work that you want to do through us. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and would you sing and pray this song of awakening?